Thank you for tuning in to the Crossover Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and grows your faith. To learn more about Crossover, visit our website at crossovernorman.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crossover Norman. Enjoy the message. Amen. Hey, y'all got to know something. I'm Dave, by the way. He just made us sound like we're the same age because we've known each other for 12 years. He's a whole lot older than I am, all right? Like, I'm still with it. Like, I'm cool, all right? So don't judge me. Jack, where you at? Hey, I'm cool, right? You drove me from the airport? We boys, all right, I feel you. Hey, y'all got a couple of the greatest people in the world leading crossover in Brent and Caroline. Can y'all show them just a little bit of love right now where you're at? Man, y'all are, y'all are the absolute, the, the, the faith that it took to leave where he was and, and come here just because God told him to is just something that we should all look up to in a, in a really great way. And so... Thankful to be here, man. Really appreciate you extending the invitation very, very much. Uh, I'm in denial, crossover. I am in denial about a few things. I've already shown it a little bit. See, in my age, I'm I'm in denial about my age because I feel like I'm a whole lot younger than I actually am, all right? Like like my wife, before I came here, she she asked me, she was like, hey, how do you think you're going to do preaching to a bunch of college students? And I was like, first of all, what is the tone that you're doing like, you're trying to make me feel bad about myself, all right? And she wasn't saying, like, oh, it's been a bit since you've preached to college students. She was saying, it's been a while since you've been a college student, so you're not going to know, like, how to communicate to them. And I was like, boo. I mean, come on. It's going to be lit, all right? Like, I got you, W. Riz, for sure. Crank that, soldier boy talent. Don't. And as soon as I responded like that, Emily was like, I literally, you're the worst person in the world, and I'm not going to Oklahoma with you because you're embarrassing. But I'm in denial about a few things. I'm in denial. Emily tells me I'm starting to get some gray hair on the side of my head. Now, she's wrong about it, but I'm I'm in denial about it. I I don't think that I'm getting older. When it comes to losing weight, my, my wife just had a baby a couple weeks ago, and so now we're in those conversations about how we be dropping the baby weight together, all right? Because I had sympathy weight. You know, pregnancy on the guy is pretty tough, all right? So Brent, amen. And so now I'm carrying around this sympathy weight a little bit, and we're talking like, all right, we got to get back to it and that sort of thing. Ten years ago, I could sneeze and lose 10 pounds. Like, it was, it was game over. Now I'm like working out, eating right. Brent, did I have a salad for dinner tonight? Dadgum did. Honestly, the worst salad of my life. He had fried chicken and I ate salad. Able to. Denial can be a dangerous thing. It could take a guy like me and say things like W Riz, W W W Riz, and lit, and you know, fire, you know, all that, all that stuff on stage, and just make me look like a total loser in front of a bunch of college students. Denial can be dangerous. Story we're going to look at tonight is found in the book of Mark, chapter fourteen. This is a a familiar passage if you grew up in church. This passage of Scripture actually happens in all four Gospels. The story of Peter denying Jesus happens in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all four different accounts of the same story, the life of Jesus Christ. And this is what we're going to look at tonight. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 66. Says this, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. 
mean? And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystander again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear saying, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times and and he broke down and wept this is a shocking a surprising story for a lot of different reasons but one of those reasons is very very simply that Peter was one of Jesus's best friends and now we see Peter denying Jesus ever and how could this Peter be the one that is denying Jesus. After all, Jesus met Peter on the shore of a lake and uttered two words to him that changed Peter's life forever. Jesus looked at him, he said, follow me. And it said, Peter dropped his nets and he followed after Jesus. And now fast forward, here we are. Now Peter is denying any relationship, any knowledge, any association with Jesus whatsoever. How is it possible that this could happen? What could lead to something like this. You look at what happened right before this in the text. The disciples and Jesus, they were uh, taking the Lord's Supper together, which is a significant thing. Is Jesus uh, bridging the gap of the Old Testament Passover with what is happening now. The, the Passover that was 1,500 years ago when people would take a lamb and they would kill it and they would use its blood to cover the doorpost of their home in order to be protected or covered or passed over from the wrath of God. And, and now here Jesus is with his disciples saying, I am that lamb. I am the one that is to be sacrificed, and it is because of the blood that I will spill that will be wiped on the doorpost of your house, and you will have the wrath of God passed over your life. Jesus sits his disciples down, and, and this is what he is telling them. This is the context of what happens right before uh, Peter denies Jesus. In, in other words, Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate fulfillment of everything. I'm the perfect sacrifice. It is by me, in my life, that the the brokenness of the world will be reconciled to God. This is it, and it's happening right now. Got this moment between Jesus and his disciples, and and then Peter denies him. In order to understand what led Peter to this point, we have to rewind a little bit. And so I want you to look at chapter 14, starting in verse 26, right after the disciples, right after this, they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, his disciples, you all will fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to Jesus, even though they will all fall away, I will not. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three different times. And he said emphatically, this is Peter responding to Jesus, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. 
That is Peter's response. So what leads to denial in your life? And you look at the life of Peter here. Uh, pride leads to denial. Pride leads to denial. Notice what happens here. Jesus is telling his disciples uh, that they will fall away, that they will scatter. He's, he's quoting Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, that says, uh, which is an, it's an Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah that is going to come back one day. And what he's doing is he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of all prophecy, and now it's the time of fulfillment. And after Jesus says to his disciples, you're all going to scatter, you're all going to fall away, Peter is found responding to Jesus by saying, hey, even if all of them do, I'm not. Like, God, that's not me. You know me. Jesus says, hey, Peter, in fact, man, you're going to deny me three times over the next few hours. Verse 31, the Bible actually says that Peter says emphatically that he won't. This word emphatically, this is the only time that this word is used in the entire New Testament. And it, it mimics the idea of being argumentative, being combative, being confrontational. So, so Jesus is saying, you're going to deny me? And Peter's like, well, no, I'm not. Like, have I not done enough for you? Jesus, like, I've been walking with you for three years. I'm not going to fall away from you. They might do that, but it's not going to be my story. It's impossible for that to happen. Jesus, you're wrong. Even if I have to die, I still won't fall away from you. I still won't deny you. I'm not capable of doing it. It is impossible. See, John chapter 1 in your Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. And now Peter, right here in this story, is denying the words of God to the word of God, which is never a good idea. We can understand that Peter has pride in his life. We can see that Peter has pride in his life because he is putting what he thinks and what he feels ahead of what God is saying. And for you and I tonight, the truth, the reality for us is when you put what you think or what you feel ahead of what God says, it's pride. This is the most countercultural, counterintuitive thing that we could hear. We live in an environment that says you need to do what you think is right, that you need to do what you feel is right. That's exactly what Peter did. When you put what you think or what you feel over what God says, that is pride in your life. Reality for us that Peter is about to exemplify for every last one of us is that um, when, when you believe, when, when you think that you are least susceptible to a certain sin, when, when you think that you have a sin kicked, when you've got it covered, you've got that out of your system, I'm beyond that now, I no longer struggle with that. When you think that you are least susceptible to a certain sin, that is when you are most susceptible to that sin. That is what the life of Peter is showing us. Jesus, when you think you're... All the other disciples, they might deny you, but not me, God. When you think you're least susceptible to a certain sin, a certain mistake, a certain struggle, that's when you're actually most susceptible to that thing. Pride leads to denials. Let me ask you, crossover, what is your I would never? I would never do this. I would never say that. I would never let it go that far. 
I would never find myself caught up in it that deep. I would never cling to this for so long. I would never be in that kind of a relationship. I would never allow myself to be overcome in that way. For us and for Peter, it's the same pride that makes you say I would never is the same pride that will lead you to denying the work of Jesus and the word of Jesus in your life. Pride leads to denial. Look at what happens next, though. Jesus takes his disciples to Gethsemane, which is a garden on the top of Mount, on the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem, and he asks them to sit there while he prays. And then what he does is he goes up to Peter, James, and John, and he says, hey, let's ride. Like, we're going to go up even higher on top of this mountain. And this is important for a lot of reasons, but none more than this. See, the last time that Jesus went to Peter, James, and John and was like, hey, let's go on top of this mountain. You remember what happened? Jesus was transfigured. What that means is they got to the top of this mountain and then heaven itself opened up. Moses and Elijah came down and they had this like meeting, like Moses and Elijah, like the biblical ballers of that time. I mean, they're just out here coming down from heaven, having a conversation, having a meeting, and then all of them together, uh, they see the, the light of heaven, the shining light of heaven shine down on Jesus. And all of them, they hear the voice of God say, this is my son. It's one of the most significant and holy most his son. Jesus looked at you and he said, hey, come, come up higher to the mountain with me. Peter, James, and John, y'all Come up a little higher with me. Like, no doubt, they looked at each other and they were like, y'all remember what happened last time? Like, that was crazy. Let's do it again. Like, they just had to be thinking, like, this is going to be awesome. I'm sure the anticipation in their minds, in their hearts, was at an all-time high. I mean, last time they got to experience literally heaven touching earth. And now Jesus is like, hey, let's go do it again. I think our, our lives are, are marked by moments of anticipation like this. You know, that Christmas morning feeling. These, these guys, the feeling they had of like, oh, shoot, he's asking us to go up to the top with him again? Our lives can be marked by these moments of anticipation. I think, you know, in my life, there have been several moments of anticipation that have, that have forever changed me. You know, I think one that is just like forever in my mind, and I still get, you know, little goosies when I talk about it. So um, it, it was in October of 2012, and it was the day that my girlfriend of five years was going to become my wife. And we've been looking forward to this day for a very long time. She planned it. I didn't do anything. I was supportive. I was there. Um, and, and the whole day, it felt like it was like, Slow motion, going slower, going slower, and now then we're at the chapel, and, and me and all my groomsmen are in the back, and, and then we go out to the front, the music's playing. Like, the guys, we don't really get to walk down the aisle, which I think is not super fair, but I needed my moment, and I didn't get it. And so uh, we kind of go out from the side back of the deal, and, and we get up front, and we do what we do. We go left over right, don't we? Come on, boys. Yeah, that's how we do. And... and this is what we do. We stand up there, and I'm just staring right down the aisle, just waiting. The music shifts. Everyone's neck turns and looks toward the back of the chapel. This moment of anticipation. I've been waiting this for a long time. And those, those chapel doors in the back, they fling wide open. 
this different music that's happening. And I look and I, I see my wife. I see Emily walking toward me. I'm overcome. How beautiful she is. How ugly her dad is. <laughs> you ruined the picture. It's the worst. I've been anticipating this for a long time. It's a moment I'll never for the rest of my life forget. What happens, though, whenever Jesus brings Peter and these guys up to the top of the mountain? This moment of anticipation, what happens? Peter falls asleep. Peter falls asleep. See, verses 32 and 34, uh, they tell us that Jesus didn't go to Peter and say, hey, come up higher with me, and, and why don't you pray for me? Like, like we, if we're honest Christians in the room, sometimes prayer can get a little sleepy. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm praying at night, I can get a little tie-tie. And so uh, it, it doesn't say that this happens here. Verses 32 and 34 actually say that he just asked him to go up and be with him. Jesus says, hey, Peter, just come up and be with me, just to be in my presence. He hasn't asked him to pray yet. I, I just want you to come and to be with me. And, and verse 38 tells us that Peter, again, he falls gentle way. He, he comes to Peter. And he says this, he says, hey, Simon, Simon, hey, you fell asleep. Now, why would he call him Simon? See, Simon is Peter's old name. After Peter started following after Jesus, Jesus gave him the new name of Peter, and it replaced his old name of Simon. I believe with everything in me, everything in me, that this is Jesus' very gentle way of reminding Peter, hey, you're falling back into your old ways. You're doing the things that you used to do. You're being the person that you used to be, and you need to be on watch. Luke chapter 22 actually says uh, in this, his account of this exact same story uh, that Jesus, in this moment, when he goes back to Peter and he says, Simon, you've fallen asleep, it actually tells us that Jesus was in such distress, so much sorrow, so much agony, that Jesus is covered in blood sweat. Can you imagine that moment for Peter to wake up and look up into the face of a blood sweat, dripping with blood, Jesus, and to realize that you've fallen asleep. Can you picture the weight of this moment? And Jesus looks at him, and then he finally says, Peter, you need to pray. But Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you need to pray for me. I got a lot going on. You can see I'm under a lot of distress. You can see I'm in agony, and that's not what Jesus says. Look at what verse 38 says. It says, Jesus says to Peter, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus doesn't say, hey, pray for me. Jesus says, you need to pray for you. You're slipping. You're going into the back in the ways that you used to be, the person that you used to be. You are slipping. And then what happens after this? Peter, again, he goes back asleep. Pride leads to denial. But you know what else leads to denial? Indifference leads to denial. Indifference leads to denial. Here's my question for you. Does this characterize your life? Does this characterize us here at Crossover? Are you indifferent toward the things of God? Maybe you come here every Tuesday night. You walk in, you experience something, you walk out, and, and, and really you'd boil it down to you're just indifferent toward God. And you may never say it like that, but everything about your life would say, I am indifferent toward the things of God in my life. 
Maybe you're indifferent toward the things of God, but you're not indifferent toward the things of you. Your preferences, your wants, your ideas, your plans. Peter, to be in his presence, the thing that you're indifferent toward, should be a scary thought for all of us. Are we going to be people? Are you, is crossover going to be the kind of movement? Are you going to be the kind of person that Jesus comes back to and, and finds indifferently sleeping or expectantly praying, ready for God to move, ready for God to show up, ready for God to use your life, ready for God to change your purpose, ready for God to adapt your plans, ready for God to use your situation, your circumstances for his benefit, not your own kingdom building. Are we expectant for God to move in that kind of a way? See, I, I believe that uh, the truly greatest way to battle indifference in our lives is by prayer. See, way too often we think of prayer as a last resort. It, it kind of becomes our Hail Mary opportunity. But in reality, it is our first and most powerful line of defense. And, and really, the Bible would say it goes way further than that. It is our most powerful form of Offense. Prayer is what takes our hearts from indifference toward God to intimacy with God. It's prayer. Prayer is what takes our heart from indifference about God to intimacy with God. So if you're indifferent about how you pray, let's just be honest. If you're indifferent about if or if you read your Bible, if you're indifferent about how you spend your time, how you spend your influence, if you're indifferent in college, Brent, he told me to tell you guys, what, what did I need to hear whenever I was in college? What did I need to hear whenever I was 20 years old? This is it. Uh, I was indifferent toward God in every single way, and it showed up in no greater way than me constantly being like, you know what, I'll take care of that when I'm a little older. Like I'll start taking it a little more seriously whenever I'm done with school. I've got a family, maybe a couple kids. Maybe when I'm married, I'll just kind of start like taking it a little bit more seriously because I'm in college. And in college, you're supposed to kind of have, you're really supposed to test the boundaries of the grace of God in college. But I'll never let it go that far. And one day whenever I've got a wife and I've got kids and I've got a family, I'll have it all straight and narrow at that point in time. If you're indifferent about the things about God, then you will be indifferent about your morals. You will be indifferent about your values. You will be indifferent about the things that you stand for. You'll be indifferent about your relationships. Listen to me, Crossover. If you are indifferent toward God, you will grow indifferent toward your own sin. Does the reality of your own sin, of our own brokenness, of the mistakes that we are making against God, does it not bring us to our knees the way it should? We're growing indifferent toward the things of God in our lives. Well, Dave, I'd never let it affect me like that. I would never let it go that far. I promise you that's what Peter thought too. I promise you. See, indifference will never lead you closer to God. It'll never lead you into his presence to experience his power or his will for your life, but it, it will make you apathetic. It will make you navigate. It, it will draw you toward what is comfortable and you'll look up over time and you'll be further from God than you ever thought you would be and you'll have no idea how you got there. And just like Peter, just like Peter, your faith will get sleepy. Pride leads to denial. 
Indifference leads to denial. You might be here tonight and Jesus is trying to wake you up, trying to warn you, trying to get your attention. He, he wants you to understand. And trust me, I've been where you are. He wants you to understand indifference leads to denial. Is your faith indifferent toward the things of God? Do you have a sleepy faith or do you have an expectant faith? All right, I mentioned to you guys, I got, I got two kids. I have three kids. I have three kids I forgot about. Um, my wife just had a baby like two weeks ago, so I keep forgetting about that. I got two boys, seven-year-old, four-year-old, and then a small girl, and she's adorable. I'm, uh, seven-year-old do everything together. Like, like they are constantly with each other. Emily and I, we find ourselves uh, so consistently just being like, hey, boys, separate, all right? Like, get some distance between you, keep your hands to yourself, all that kind of stuff. And, and they just don't do it. If one of them gets a haircut, the other one better be getting the exact same haircut, otherwise they're going to have a problem in their home, okay? Like, if one of them wants to dress up like a firefighter, the other one wants to dress up like a naked firefighter, okay? And so that's just what they do. There's never any distance in between them. It's what they want to do. What's the other picture that I have? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the food thing. My goodness. I mean, they're huge children. Um, they're so large and a lot to, to feed. If one of them, I can genuinely, true story, I promise this is not like a pastor thing, all right? Uh, I can ask my four-year-old, hey, Walker, what do you want to eat for breakfast? And he'll be like, I don't know. He'll just look at his brother. But if I ask my seven-year-old Watts, what do you want? And he says, blueberry yogurt. Then Walker's like, yeah, sounds good to me. And I promise, genuine dad moment. I really do believe that if I asked Watts, my seven-year-old, hey, what do you want for breakfast? And he said, I would like a bowl full of gravel with a little bit of milk on it. Then Walker would be like, um, all right, I'll, I'll do the same. It's going to be a rough morning, but I'm in. Like, that's, that's exactly how he would be. He just does everything that they do. When they watch a movie, if they, if they sit on the couch, when they watch a movie, uh, we have a, a large couch. I'm not trying to brag, but we have a big couch. And this is how they choose to sit. Like, we don't stage them like this. There's so much couch that's open that they could sit on. They just decide to do this. Like, this is, this is just how they do. There is never any distance between these two boys. And I love it, and it's cute until it's really not cute because one of them's, like, shoving a shoot out of the other's throat, and it just gets weird from there. Uh, and it's really, really sweet. There's no distance between these boys. What I can't shake about this story, Peter's denial of... Jesus is what happens next. After Jesus prays in the garden and Peter sleeps, Jesus says, it's time. And Jesus is arrested and taken to court and he's wrongly charged and wrongly crucified. And guess who isn't with him? Peter. The same one who said, Jesus, I'm not gonna fall away. Even if I have to die, I will be with three and 54. So where is Peter. Look at verses 53 and 54. This is one of the most overlooked pieces of scripture in your entire Bibles. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance. So, so where's Peter? Peter is following Jesus at a distance. Are we sure we're talking about the same Peter, the guy who left everything to follow Jesus, just after two words of him saying, follow me, the one who saw the miracles, 
the one who was a leader amongst the disciples, the one who Jesus gave the nickname Rock to, the one who walked on water toward Jesus, the one who first proclaimed Jesus as the one true Messiah, the one who just a couple verses earlier cuts off a soldier's ear in an effort to protect Jesus, is now Peter, the one who follows Jesus at a distance, close enough to be on the scene, but too far away from being a difference maker. Listen to me. Pride leads to denial, indifference leads to denial, and distance will lead you to deny. This is how Satan works. See, the Bible says Jesus says that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to put distance between you and Jesus. And listen to me. Again, crossover. Can I be honest? That's the devil's plan for your life. And if you're walking through your life, and my life is living proof, he's actually really good at advising his plan. He comes up with a good plan. The enemy of God has a plan for your life. Now, I believe that God has a plan for your life, and it's a much better plan. But if Satan can't keep you from following him, Jesus, closely, he will settle and he will celebrate you following him at a distance. You hear me? Satan will settle and he will celebrate you following Jesus, but just following him at a distance, following Jesus, being willing to claim him whenever he's in the courtyard, but far enough away that you deny him when it actually matters. Is that you tonight? And I'm not asking for me. I want you to ask you, is that you tonight? If you think that it might be, then it probably is. Are you following Jesus at a distance, close but not too close, claimed but unchanged? Distance leads to denial. You know, it could be that you used to follow Jesus and you were passionate about the things of God and that really had a hold on your life. And somewhere along the way, you allowed this distance or this sin or this struggle or apathy or indifference or whatever it may be enter into your life. And now you've looked up, feel like this at a distance is too great of a chasm to be crossed. Can I be honest, college students? I was in college once. Maybe you're here and you feel like, you know what, some of the stuff that I've done some of the shame that I have, it's made me feel, it's made me believe and fall in, slip into the lies, best case scenario for my life. Maybe God doesn't want all of me because I'm pretty messed up. And I've done some things that I'm really not proud of. And I've made some decisions that are not honoring and glorifying to God. So maybe God wants me at a distance. And I would just tell you this, you're in good company because that's exactly where Peter was. Verse 72 says that Peter, he breaks down and he weeps. The wording here is that he's crushed. He's absolutely broken in spirit. Peter has never felt more distant from Jesus. So much so that the next time that we see Peter, what's he doing? He's just denied Jesus three times. And Jesus has just been offered up for our sins. He has been killed on a cross. He was beaten, he was ridiculed, people spat on him, he was humiliated, and then he was nailed to a tree and hung up for a bunch of people to see. And then after he died on the cross, people took him down, wrapped his body up and put it in a grave and he stayed there for three days. And where's Peter at? See, the Bible says in John chapter one and John chapter 21 and Luke chapter 22, uh, that where Peter is, is he's right back where he started. 
See, Peter goes back to his old life. He goes back to his old ways. He goes back to the things that he used to do. He goes back to the person that he used to be. And the Bible says that after all this has happened, Peter is fishing again. And Peter's not catching anything. And there's a guy that he's fishing with. And this guy hears a voice from the shore. And that voice says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And so they pull up the net and they throw it on the other side of the boat. After everything, after he's felt distant from God, after he's denied Jesus, he he throws his net on the other side of the boat. And the Bible says that the nets began to fill with so many fish that the nets began to break and the boat began to sink. And, And then not Peter, but the guy that was with Peter says, that's Jesus on the shore. That's gotta be up. And he looks to the shore and he sees Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 22 that Peter throws himself into the sea and starts swimming toward the shore. Now, can you imagine what was going on in Peter's head? With every stroke he takes, every single breath, every bit of water that is passing him by, he hasn't met Jesus' eyes since they locked in the courtyard whenever he denied him on the third time. See, the Bible is very clear about that detail. The Bible says that the last time that Peter and Jesus locked eyes was the very moment that Peter denied who Jesus was. And he didn't deny who Jesus was to someone in high authority or high power. He denied who Jesus was to a little servant girl who couldn't do anything to hurt him. And it says that uh, brutally broken, betrayed, and beaten Jesus looks through a crowd of people. And right whenever Peter denies him, their eyes lock. That's not me. That's what the Bible says. And now Peter is swimming toward Jesus. And he finally gets to the shore. And he stands up and he walks over to Jesus. And now here they are again, face to face. And verse 15 tells us that Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus asked him this three different times. And on the third time, after Jesus says, Peter, down. And he says, Lord, you know everything. The same Peter who said, Lord, you don't know me. You don't know that I won't deny you. I have the strength to overcome that. Those other guys might deny you, but you don't know me. You don't know what I can do for you. You don't know what I'm capable of. Is now saying, Jesus, you know everything. Everything, all authority on heaven and on earth is yours. And you know my own heart better than I have ever known my own self. And so Jesus gives the opportunity to Peter, the the same Peter who denied who Jesus was three times. Peter is now having the opportunity to claim, to profess, to choose Jesus three different times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? This is the part I can't get over. Standing on the beach, after everything they've been through, after the ministry of Jesus, after the denial of Peter of Jesus, after Jesus has been beaten and betrayed and brutally murdered, and after he was buried, and after he raised from the dead, with everything that's gone on in their relationship, Jesus says the same two words to Peter 
that he said all the way in the beginning. The same two words that Peter's ears ever heard from the mouth of Jesus, he repeats right now after everything they've been through. And Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. You can never outrun the grace of God in your life. There is nothing that you've done that is not covered by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing that you've done that is outside of the scope of his forgiveness and his grace. 